Heavenly Father, uh, I'm sorry, according to his promise, that's what I'm supposed to do. Boy, I am rusty. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm tempted to go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where we were uh, a couple weeks ago, but we'll, we'll start with Romans chapter 8. Picking up our study on the prize, this comes out of Philippians chapter 3. When Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, we want to make sure that we can keep our eyes fixed on the prize as well. That we don't uh, lose focus on that. Remember, when you take your eyes off the prize, then bad things start happening. Peter took his eyes off the Lord and he started to sink as he was out there walking on water. And I think that's instructive for us. We don't want to take our eyes off the prize. Hebrews 12 tells us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we cannot take our eyes off the prize. Jesus certainly didn't. Who for the joy set before him See, his eyes were fixed on the prize. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and was seated at the right hand of the Father. And so that joy set before him, that's his eyes on on his prize, you understand. And so we want to uh, be imitators of that as well. We understand in Romans 8 that we're sons, and so uh, let's uh, take a look at 16 through 18, and then we'll open in prayer. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed, and this is a true statement, this is first class and beyond first class, this is true and very true, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The, the, uh, it's not optional. <laughs> it's not maybe. It's definite. We will be glorified. We are in Christ. It could be no other way. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father in His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the opportunity that you in your grace have provided father not one of us has earned this or deserved this and yet here we are thank you father for your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding to teach us from your truth i thank you father and i praise you in jesus christ's name amen all right so as we've gone through this and in the various developments we've seen prizes and principles that apply to reward in the angelic realm for their stewardship. Remember, we're the ones that will be judging the angels and uh, for them to receive their final critique and their final uh, rewards, we're the ones handing that out. Also in terms of the Gentiles, the Gentile dispensation uh, from Hebrews 11, the early verses there in Hebrews 11 are all centered on uh, the Gentiles from uh, Abel to Noah. And uh, in verses 1 through 7 there of Hebrews 11, it addresses that. Also the book of Job uh, two chapters in the book of Job anticipates resurrection rewards, eternal rewards as, uh, as that goes. And then we looked at the Jewish stewardship. And in the Jewish stewardship, we have Old Testament passages. We also have New Testament passages in the Gospels. Because even though it's in the New Testament, it's still before Pentecost. And when Jesus is teaching about rewards, when he's teaching about uh, you know foolish virgins and having your oil, when he's teaching about ruling over cities, Those are not church age passages. 
And, uh, and I have to stress this over and over again because there are, there are terrible things out there that will confuse you related to church age rewards that try to point to Jesus' message in the Gospels and we really cannot do that. And uh, in particular, they get confused related to the uh, kingdom of heaven parables and things that, that Jesus talks about. Jesus delivered many kingdom of heaven messages featuring mostly Jewish, some Gentile, possibly church application, and, and I dispute it. I dispute every one. The only places that are possibly church rewards are apostolic church rewards that are promised to the 12 apostles of the Lamb that they will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that is not a church reward. That is the reward they receive as a part of their apostolic ministry in the dispensation of Israel. They bore fruit before Pentecost. They've got reward for the fruit that they bore before Pentecost. See, so if you think about it, maybe, I don't know if it helps if you have, um, you had an old job way back when and you had a 401k there or whatever, all right, and that's still sitting there kind of doing its own thing while well, now you have a new job and in this new job you've got a much better retirement, you've got a much better uh, 401, you've got a much better all this other stuff. Well, when it comes time to retire and you have this, this great thing coming to you and then that other thing, what are you going to do with that other thing? You're still entitled to it. It can still come, even if it's vastly inferior, and even if it's, you know, what are you going to say, no thanks? Uh, you know, it's gonna, you're going to get that too, on top of this, see. And maybe my illustration is, you know, not a total analogy, doesn't totally relate, but think of that. Think of all the fruit that the apostles bore in Israel's stewardship before Pentecost. They were Old Testament believers before they entered into the church. And all of that fruit that they bore as Old Testament believers, see, God is not unjust so as to forget. That's what the author of Hebrews told his readers. Everything they did as Old Testament believers is still rewardable. But they now have to advance forward into the New Testament and keep bearing fruit as New Testament believers. Okay, And that's the key, I think, in understanding everything Jesus was dealing with in, uh, in his reward passages. So go to Matthew, go to uh, Luke, read those about you know, uh, the ten talents and all those things. There are Israel application, not church application. Which brings us now into development D. This is still Roman numeral two. Development and applications, plural. Eternal rewards for different dispensations. And now we arrive at main point D, the church dispensation. And recognize this. In the church, we have the greatest rewards ever. We have the greatest inheritance ever. We have the greatest rewards ever. And we're going to see those two aspects. That inheritance and rewards are different things. And we don't want to confuse them. We want to recognize that we have them both. And this, uh, this study will help us to do that. All right. So according to Romans 8 and according to 2 Timothy 2, the body and bride of Jesus Christ positionally, experientially, and collectively suffers with Jesus Christ. And so we are destined to reign with Jesus Christ. We collectively suffer. That's an automatic. We collectively reign. That's also an automatic. That's not an if, maybe. That's not a third class. If we do, then we will. And some don't, so some won't. No, we all do. Everybody suffers. If one member suffers, we all suffer. Suffering is not optional in the Christian way of life. And so again, positionally speaking, as we read through here in Romans 8, 
that uh, we have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Well, what was that? That's not only is that life as an unbeliever, but really that's even life as a believer under law. Under law, there's just this constant terrifying expectation of judgment. Under law, there's no living hope. There's no uh, the, the, the blessings that we have in grace. Do you see? So you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So that's universal. That's every believer, whether you've been saved, you know, 90 years or 90 minutes or 90 seconds. And when you place your faith in Christ, you are now a part of this mystical body that is the body and bride of Jesus Christ from that moment and forever. And so these rewards become ours. The Spirit Himself testifying with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now let me ask you this. An Old Testament believer, take Daniel. Great hero, right? We saw Daniel in point C, uh, sub point four, that uh, he was told, you know, go your way and enter into rest and you will rise for your allotted portion at the end of the age. That Daniel could die in total faith and confidence knowing that he had an awesome resurrection awaiting him. He had a tremendous uh, inheritance that he was waiting for. So when he arises at the end of the age for his allotted portion, for his allotted portion, is he an heir of God in that allotted portion? Is he a part of the royal family of God? Does he have heavenly rewards waiting for him? No, he is in the tribe of Judah, the nation of Israel. He has resurrection rewards in the millennial kingdom and on the new earth. He has an earthly inheritance in Israel, an earthly inheritance as a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not an heir of God and fellow heir with Christ Jesus. He's not in Christ. It's only the church that's in Christ. We want to be clear on this. So fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed, now that if indeed is not just an if, okay? First class, second class, third class, first class it's true, second class it's not true, but if it was, then this other thing might happen. Third class, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe. Maybe you suffer, maybe you're rewarded. Not so. First class and stronger than first class because it's not just a first class if, it's an if indeed. If in fact, since in fact. I like to translate it since in fact. Since in fact, it is true that all of us in Christ suffer. Since in fact, we suffer with Him. We all do. When one member suffers, we all suffer. We all suffer with him. So that consequence, we may also, and this is the the consequence of the suffering, be glorified with him. It's not optional. It is not saying that only the victorious believers get to reign and the loser believers don't. Okay? Because the biggest loser in the church age is greater than the greatest Old Testament saint. And that's just the way it is. Okay? Don't earn it, don't deserve it but it's the way it is. Likewise, 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, if we deny him, he cannot deny himself. This is, um, again, uh, folks want to lock in on an if and say, well, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Don't take it that way. It's not written that way. It is a trustworthy statement if we died with him. And guess what? We did. Uh, We also live with him. 
If we endure, he will also, we will also reign with him. If we endure. And then they, they put this thing in there as if somehow that's up to us. Just like, well, wait a minute. Dying with him wasn't up to us. Why is enduring up to us when he's the one that keeps us secure? If we deny him, he will also deny us. And there are moments that we do. There are moments of carnality where every believer denies. Anytime you're in darkness, you're denying him, are you not? Anytime that you uh, walk in darkness instead of walking in the light. Anytime that you walk by means of the flesh instead of walking by means of the spirit. That is a denial of him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so regardless of, of the ups and downs in temporal life, in eternal life, when we, cross from dark, when we cross from mortality and immortality, we're all there. This is absolute eternal security. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. How can he deny himself? When it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is within each and every one of us. We cannot lose that. We cannot throw that away. And so positionally, experientially, collectively, we suffer and we reign. We are the bride of Christ. And that's the nature of it. And so we have to recognize that when it comes uh, for our rewards, when it comes to what it is that we receive in Christ. Now, what goes with this? Secondly now, Jesus is the overcomer. So we are overcomers by faith in Him. The overcomer rewards are given to the body and bride of Jesus Christ. This is, this is uh, universal. This is for the entire body and bride. Even the biggest loser receives the overcomer rewards in Christ. Okay, now there's other rewards that we can forsake, other rewards we can throw away, and there are, there's going to be a scale. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're all co-equal in reward status. There will be believers that are more rewarded and believers that are less rewarded, even within the church age. But still, there is a bottom threshold, there is the bare minimum that all of us get, no matter what, including the overcomer rewards. All right? And so this is clear as well. John 16.33. Familiar with what this says? It's one of the promises of God. It just doesn't show up on most of your refrigerator magnets for the promises of God. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. <laughs> All right? So just put that on your refrigerator magnet, put that on your mirror when you're shaving or whatever you're doing. The promises of God, in this world you will have tribulation. So when it happens... <laughs> just don't grumble about it. Recognize that God's faithful. How about that? God, your word is true. In this world, I have tribulations. But be of good cheer or take courage. I have overcome the world. The verb here is nakao, and it's uh, like Nike, like victory. And uh, it, is, it is so powerful. As far as the overcomer is concerned, it's not up to us to get it done. He's the one that has overcome. We are in him. It's not a conditional thing about, well, there's winners and there's losers in the church age. Not in the overcomer uh, vocabulary. Not in the usage, the nakao usage throughout the New Testament. Specifically, John's writings. The gospel, the epistles, and revelation. The apostle John is the author of every verse we're looking at here on this slide or on this point related to this. So, nakao, take courage. I have nakaoed the world. Jesus is the overcomer. So uh, what are we going to do? 
<laughs> how, how are we going to overcome if he's already done it? The, the enemy is disarmed. The cosmos is overcome. Are we going to try to re-overcome it? We're going to reconquer it? What are we going to do? It's conquered. It's overcome. We're in him. Simple. Uh, Jesus is the overcomer. Not only does he say so in John 16, but he also says so in Revelation 5, 5. As the song gets sung, this is a beautiful song in Revelation 5. Let's see. course in revelation we've got the the, uh, seven churches in chapter two and three we have the scene in heaven in chapter four and five and then it's tribulation six through 19 it is uh, tribulation and uh, but this is in that interlude in between the church and the and the uh, millennium and so it's a heavenly scene and in uh, chapter four is uh, the first part of this and then he sees the book John starts to react over this. So let me pick it up. Uh, Revelation 5.1, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book. And so here's the Father's book, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? You think you are? You think I am? Nobody is. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. There's our multidimensional definition of everything, (laughs) okay? In the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth. That's everything. All the realms of creation apart from God himself is uh, described there. So I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. You might remember when we were teaching this in the Revelation series, it might have even been John himself. Wouldn't that be hilarious? If he's brought forward in time, and he's brought forward in time, and these 24 elders are the 24 most highest rewarded church-age saints, how cool would it be if it was John himself encouraging himself in this, uh, in this vision that he has if he's brought forward in time? Whichever of the elders it was, said to him, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And so he is the overcomer. ha Nakon, he is the overcomer. He is the one that has overcome. It's like a tetelestai statement. It's like an it is finished statement. It is done. It is written. It is finished. He has overcome. He is the overcomer. And so... The, all the rest of this, you know, sadness and boohooing and whatever is out of place. Knock it off. <laughs> all right. And so then he sees between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. And uh, he comes and he takes the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so he is the overcomer. Now, this is the backdrop. We got to understand this. Our overcoming is in him. And I think people get confused in Revelation 2 and 3 because they see he who overcomes and you think, ooh, I've got to work hard to earn that. I've got to work hard to deserve that. As if it's conditional. I'm going to show you that it's not conditional, that it's in fact positional, that it's in fact corporate, that it's our collective position in Christ and being the overcomer. 
Before we look at those, though, we got 1 John 5. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. I believe the gospel was written first, then 1 John was written as an expansion of the gospel, taking, uh, giving a fellowship theology to the uh, body of Christ. And then, of course, Revelation concludes it all. 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandment is, uh, commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Let me read that again. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Are you born of God? Are you a church age believer priest? Then there you go. Write your name into verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Notice, has overcome. Past completed action. Jesus is the one that did it. We are placed in Him as a church age believer. So who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, so now this connects the ha nakon present participle of overcome, with the ha pistun present participle of believe. He who believes. He who believes. These are positional truth realities for church-age believer priests. And the whole concept then is, is, is just, it's, it's, it's unthinkable that people are going to violate the laws of language and they're going to violate what the, the plain reading of Scripture fundamentally says. It's like saying, well, what if I stop believing? Well, did you, did you get unborn? How did that happen? Did you get retroactively, you know, how does that work? And birth is a one-time deal. <laughs> you know, when you're birthed, then you're done birthed, Okay. And that's, uh, you know, whoever did it, did it, and there you are. So we're born from below, we're born from above. How do you undo that? Okay. And so this is, uh, this is our status. The one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I love how it's expressed as a, as a present active participle because it's continuous action in present time. And yet it's a, it's a noun. It, it, defines who we are. It's us, okay? We are overcomers because we're in Christ, just like we are believers. We are believers. Now, let's say I have a bad week. Let's say I spend uh, the bulk of the week in carnality. Let's say I'm not walking by faith. I'm walking by sight. Does that make me an unbeliever? I'm still saved, am I not? Okay? All right. Revelation 2 now. Let's look at these because he makes the point seven times. And sometimes I know it's tedious. Sometimes I know the congregation says, Pastor, move on with it already. I get it. Next slide. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm sorry, but redundancy is there for a reason. Let me say that again. When God says something seven times, do you think there's a reason for that? Why is God doing that? How pedantic can you get? Very pedantic. That's, there's a reason for that. All right. So in Revelation 2.7, this is the message to the uh, pastor of Ephesus Bible Church. To the angel, Angelos of the church in Ephesus, write, 
and all of these are addressed to the angelos, to the pastor. And uh, the pastor has done a lot of good things. And he says, I know about this, I know about this, I know about this. These are all great things, but, verse 4, I have this against you. Not the whole church, not the collective you, the singular you, you, the angelos, you, the pastor. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Notice when the pastor gets fired, it's Jesus that does it. Jesus does the firing. And what's bound in in heaven, what's loosed in heaven, precedes what's bound on earth and what's loosed on earth. What we bind and loose on earth shall have already been bound and loosed in heaven, we understand, is the church age operation. Yet, you you do have that you uh, hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And uh, so do I. You know, the whole Nicolaitan heresy, the whole... This is the same Nico, by the way, the same victory, only it's victory over the people. So instead of victory over the world, it's victory over the people. This is the license that clergy has to dominate over, over the laity. This is the, the, the whole evil that a church uh, hierarchy has, uh, has uh, uh, a, a victory overcoming over the people. And that's just insane because we're all sheep in God's hands. All right, now, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. First of all, who, who is this we're talking about? Who has the ear? Who is it that's spiritually alive so as to hear from the Word of God? It's believers. It's us in the New Testament. It's us. And we are the ones that are equipped to listen to the Word of God communicated through local churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Who is him who overcomes? First of all, it's Jesus. And then secondly, it's all of us in Jesus Christ. We are the overcomer. So to him who overcomes, to Jesus Christ, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The reward that Jesus can look forward to. It's a reward that you and I can look forward to. Which is in the paradise of God. Boy, paradise gets around, doesn't it? (laughs) Paradise used to be in Sheol. Jesus told the thief today, you'll be with me in paradise. But then paradise got moved to heaven because Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. Uh, But paradise is going to get relocated on the new earth when the tree of life gets replanted on the new earth. So yeah, paradise gets around. All right, that's, uh, that's verse 7. That's the first time. Second time, Smyrna, verse 11. Now here too, um, there's good things that are being spoken to. And uh, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And that you, by the way, is singular. The pastor is about to go through something. And then behold, the devil is about to cast some of you. So in addition to the pastor's suffering, some of us flock is going to go through it into prison so that all y'all will be tested. Actually, no, so that you singular will be tested. And then all of y'all will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. And we're going to get to that shortly because I'm going to list all the crowns that are applied to uh, a church age application. The crown of life is one of those. Then it says... 
And then, by the way, that's a conditional one. That's a conditional one. If you're not faithful, if you're not faithful unto death, this is a crown you can throw away. Let no one take your crown. Then it says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who's that? Raise your hand. That's all of us. We have ears to hear. Are you in fellowship? Listen to Bible class in your local church. Notice it doesn't say reading a book at home. It says to the local churches. And then he who overcomes, who's that? Raise your hand. That's you. That's me. First of all, it's Jesus. And then secondly, it's every New Testament believer priest in Jesus Christ. Whoever is born of God has overcome the world. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Won't be hurt by the second death. What a blessing. What an absolute blessing for all of us. Notice, it doesn't say won't experience the second death. That's a duh, no-brainer. This one here, I think, disproves the whole conditional aspect of it. People that want to try to convince me that the the church age winners get this, the church age losers don't get this. I say, oh, okay. So a church age loser is going to get hurt by the second death. How's that happen? Does he lose his salvation? Does he experience the second death? Oh, no, 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 he doesn't. Well, won't be hurt by the second death. Not only do we not experience it, but we have the righteousness of God to view it with his perspective of viewing it. Okay? And if you think about the things that you watch that hurt to watch them and the things that you watch that don't hurt to watch them, why do they hurt to watch them? Why do they not hurt to watch them? Okay? And boy, this could be a whole fellowship topic right here. We could sit around the tables and then talk about and then some things are different for different people. Okay? On a relative scale, you know, on a relative scale, I can watch uh, people hurting people. You know, I can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I can watch... You know, if it's a human being doing it with a gun or whatever, I can watch that all day long. It doesn't hurt. But if it's a shark, if it's a lion or a bear, if it's an animal of some sort of creature, a dragon, something with teeth, that, ooh, I don't want to watch that. That hurts just watching it. Now, hurt by the second death. The second death gets applied at the, at the great white throne. The second death is applied when every unbeliever stands at the great white throne. Every unbeliever stands for judgment at the great white throne. They confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They bend the knee and they get cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Now that could hurt watching that happen if in fact it's your husband, your mother, somebody you gave the gospel to, your sister, and you know you gave them the gospel. They called you an idiot when you preached them the gospel. And yet you gave them the gospel anyway. And then at the, at the great white throne, you're standing there with Jesus Christ and there's your loved one. And you watch them confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You watch them bend the knee. And you watch them cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And it does not hurt. Today it will hurt. Just thinking about it hurts. But not then. Because the overcomer reward is we will have the mind of Christ. We will have that righteous judgment that will not be hurt. In fact, we'll worship. Hard to relate to now, but we will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, Pergamum. Again, 
um, but some good things. This pastor had done some good things. He'd stuck it out. Man, even the days of Antipas. That must have been something. Remember those days? <laughs> well, we don't, but they would have. They would have remembered those days. Ooh, remember those days. And this pastor stuck to his guns. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam and the pastor didn't deal with it. He should have dealt with it. Also the Nicolaitans, deal with it. He says, therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. So he's got things to do. Notice every time Jesus Christ comes to a church and there's issues to deal with, who does he go to? He goes to the right-hand messenger. He goes to the one guy. The buck stops here. He doesn't go to a committee. He doesn't go to an elder board. He doesn't call for a vote. There's one star held in his right hand. And he says, you deal with that or I'm dealing with you. Every time. Every time. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, raise your hand. You're the one with an ear. Be in church. Listen to what the Spirit's communicating. To him who overcomes. Who's that? Raise your hand. That's Christ, first of all. That's you and me in Christ, secondly. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. And uh, it's not just the winners, not just the big victorious. See, when you read Jody Dillo, he'll tell you that these are conditional and that the loser Christians don't get any of these. I think it just so violates he who overcomes. I think it so violates 1 John 5. It so violates John 16. I think it so violates these passages themselves <clears throat> because <clears throat> it's parallel with he who has an ear. Do you have an ear? Then you're, this, then you're he who overcomes. Again and again and again. Thyatira and uh, verse 26. And even um, now Thyatira has got to deal with uh, the Jezebel woman and he won't do it for whatever reason. He doesn't want to confront her. So he lets it go and how many families are getting wrecked because of that. And so here's all the judgment that's going to happen to his church. He's going to tear this church apart. But then he says, I say to you and to the rest who are in Thyatira, now he goes from singular to plural. It's not just the pastor, but it's a faithful remnant with the pastor who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them. <laughs> that's not his term for it. It's their term for it. They were fully embracing the deep things of Satan and thought it was great. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Hold fast until I come. Be faithful unto death. Don't throw away your, your confidence, which has a great reward. Hold fast. What you have, hold fast until I come. And how many believers just let it all go? They stop holding fast. They, they throw it away. They get tired. They say, I'm sick of this. I'm done. Preaching to myself this morning. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds. Oh, now wait a minute. Hmm. For the first time ever, 
You realize why? You've got to go item by item by item. It's tedious. It's, it's redundant and repetitive, all right? It is tedious to go item by item by item. So if you haven't fallen asleep, you notice, wait a minute, there's something different here. Because there's a he, who, and then there's also something else added to that. Ah, this, this didn't happen in the other places. Now, all of a sudden, we have a conditional requirement in addition to the positional reality. And so, keeping my deeds until the end, that's, uh, that seems to be the, the uh, corollary to verse 25 of hold fast until I come. This is, uh, this is keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, running with endurance, the race that's set before us. This is conditional. To him I will give authority over the nations. Now ultimately, again, start with Jesus. Jesus is the overcomer, and Jesus kept the Father's deeds until the end. So Jesus is given authority over the nations. Now what about us? We're in him. We are he who overcomes. Do we keep his deeds until the end? Anyway, that's why I think we've got to be careful with this delineation. So authority over the nations, how much authority? Now we start to see the, 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 the degrees, the grading uh, related to this as far as what the spectrum is for uh, greater versus lesser responsibility. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. So I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. All right. So there we have it. Uh, It continues three more times in chapter three. I believe that's the only one though that we had a conditional element added to it. Three, five. Um, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. You realize if you make this conditional, what a problem you have with that verse. (laughs) If you say, okay, we got these super rewarded believers like, you know, great heroes like Paul and John and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon, R.B. Theme and, you know, and uh, then we get uh, these loser Christians over here and yeah, they're saved, they're in Christ, they can have a resurrection body and a, a trinket or two. But they're no, 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 they couldn't possibly be an overcomer. They couldn't possibly be a, be a medicoy, you know, partner or whatever. Um, so they're, they're part of the losers that have to go to the outer darkness and not have the millennial feast and they get hurt by the second death and they get their name erased from the book of life. Oh, when did we become Arminians? <laughs> I missed that. Wait a minute. This is why if you're sloppy with your mythology, that's mythos, the doctrine of reward. Mythos, mythology is the doctrine of rewards. If you're loosey-goosey with mythology and you start to blend Gentile rewards with Jewish rewards, with church rewards, and you really, if you're not solid on this, it can actually have some horrible, horrible consequences. And you find yourself in an Arminian position thinking, I don't want my name erased from the book of life. Okay? Well, relax. You won't get your name erased from the book of life. You're in Christ. 
For, for him to erase your name from the book of life means he has to disobey the Father. He has to let you go. And the Father said, don't lose even one of them. You think, you think Jesus can fail the Father? You think Jesus can disobey the Father? Think again. If he could disobey the Father, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He can't disobey the Father. All right. So relax. Your name will not be erased from the book of life. Uh, Verse 12, Philadelphia. The pastor of Philadelphia had no negative things said against him, which is uh, interesting. And uh, had some great things there. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia ride, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. That that verse kept me sane this week. (laughs) Because I'm I'm just looking at closed door after closed door after closed door after closed door. And there's nothing I can do to open a door. Well, that's, that's... Jesus' fault then. He's the one doing that. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. Where? I don't see it. All right, I'll keep looking. I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Now notice this is conditional. This is future assignments given to him in time. Fruit-bearing opportunities that are open because of past faithfulness. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come down and bow down at your feet and have the, make them know that I have loved you. God will cause your enemies to know that you are the object of his love. may not be pleasant, <laughs> but you will see his hand at work as he faithfully demonstrates that he loves you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Again, we've seen this before. We see it again here. Hold fast what you have. Have you laid up treasure in heaven? Have you borne fruit? Great. Don't stop. Forget what lies behind. Keep reaching forward what lies ahead. Don't just bank on what you've done and figure, eh, it's good enough. Those believers that just start coasting and start drifting, they let go. They're not holding fast what they have. And then it says, so that no one will take your crown. How sad for a believer that had a right start, who had a strong follow through, but didn't have a strong finish. They just decided to coast and, and, and go on easy street to the end of their days. No, it's about the strong finish. Run with endurance the race that's set before us. You know where the race ends? It's a trick question. We got children here this morning. They know when the race ends. You have a starting line and you have a finish line in every race. And then let's say you're in between there somewhere. Do you just stop and say, okay, I'm done. It's over. You got to go to the finish line, don't you? Okay. Thank you. All right. See, the kids know this. And so the whole idea that I'm going to let someone take my crown that I'm not going to hold fast. You know, I mean, goodness, why stop now? You realize, you grow content, and you say, well, it hasn't, haven't I done enough? Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. Because all you've done is get ready for what's coming up. 
All you've done is get ready. Everything you think is, is, you're confusing the means to the end. This is the means. You have been suited to do the things that are upcoming. Don't just stop now. Let no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who overcomes. Who's that? Jesus first. You and me second in Christ. We are he who overcomes because we are born of God. And this is the, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. We are born of God. We are a pillar in the temple. How fun is that? That's our reward. And even the biggest loser that got saved on his deathbed, never bore any fruit, and uh, you know, got saved and died two minutes later, what, what does he have laid up in heaven? What, what edification has he done? What, he's got these rewards right here. He's got every overcomer reward that you and I have because these are the overcomer rewards in Christ. This is a powerful thing. Finally, Laodicea. Oh, I forgot verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear. Raise your hand. You have an ear. You're a believer. The Holy Spirit is communicating through local churches. So, you know, not reading a book at home. Local churches. All right, Laodicea. Verse 21. He who overcomes. All right. Um, of course, this pastor had all kinds of problems. He was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and made Jesus want to vomit. He said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Just makes me want to puke. And uh, he thinks everything's great. In earthly terms, in earthly terms, he, in verse 17, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Man, this was, this was a Bible church that was featured in... Uh, you know, Christianity Today or whatever their magazines were back then. This was uh, one of the mega churches that would have been spotlighted in a kind of a, you know, thing. <laughs> Rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. Wow. All the other churches in the, in the district ought to copy what these guys are doing. And Jesus says, no, none of that's real. None of that's real. It's just the opposite effect. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In spiritual terms... I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Buy from me. Engage in the heavenly economy. Make heavenly purchases. Not just deposits, purchases. You can buy gold from Christ himself and it's refined gold so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. Buy those garments now. Quit walking around spiritually naked all the time. That the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. An eye salve to anoint your eyes. You see, every shortcoming they had, he had the provision for, but you had to go to his marketplace to get it. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. See? Remember earlier when we saw that he was going to demonstrate to all the world that he loves you? He's going to demonstrate to all the world that he loves you by doing what? Reproving you. Disciplining you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is temporal life fellowship that we have here in the, in the spiritual realm. This is all in, in the bounds of time. This is not about going to heaven. It's not about answering the gospel. It's not about getting saved. This is about fellowshipping with the Father and with His Son. And not keeping them out there knocking on the door. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit to him to sit down with me on my throne. This is positional. This is the body and bride of Jesus Christ, positionally, experientially, collectively, corporately, suffering with Jesus and reigning with Jesus. I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. It's an equivalency because it's an equivalency. (laughs) Because we are baptized in the union with him, with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection, with his ascension, with his session. We are in Christ. If he's seated on a throne of glory, where else could we be? Nowhere else. Not baptized and sealed into Christ. He who has an ear, raise your hand. Let him hear what the Spirit communicates to the local churches. Seven times, and he made that point seven times, over and over and over again. Seven times. And so we have these. All right. Now, within that, over and beyond that, we have other crowns. Various crowns are referenced in the New Testament in connection with the church and glory. And we have crowns that are assigned conditionally. Crowns that are assigned that can be lost. Crowns that can be thrown away. Crowns that you can attain to or not attain to, depending on your faithfulness, depending on your Um, meeting the requirements of these crowns. So these crowns are different than the he who overcomes rewards. Are we clear on that? Because the he who overcomes rewards are positional for everybody in the body of Christ. But these crowns are not he who overcomes rewards. These crowns are conditional. And these crowns have criteria to attain to them or to throw them away. Let no one take your crown. Okay? All right. Are we clear that they're, they have to be separate, right? If we, if we just equate them all together, well, then let no one take your crown is nonsensical. It, it, the, the idea that, that if we all get it, then who could take it? So we have to have both positional rewards and uh, relative rewards relative to our faithfulness. All right. 1 Corinthians 9.25 speaks of an incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25. And these come from a smattering of places throughout the New Testament. Most of them are Pauline, not all of them. Uh, The first three are, but then we have James and John and Peter. So it is a broad spectrum across the New Testament. But first of all, an incorruptible crown. In contrast with the earthly 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. In other words, run. (laughs) Don't walk. Don't be lackadaisical. Run. You want to run on a winning basis. 
Everyone competes in the games, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. There it is. We an imperishable. And so here's the analogy. The analogy is with the Olympic Games. And Corinth was the setting for the Isthmus Games. And so it's not coincidence now that this illustration is sent to uh, the Corinthians. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. You know, how long is that going to last? Even today, these athletes today, and they get their things today, how long does that last? You know, so you get, a, you get an endorsement or you get some kind of a contract deal, you get some kind of a thing. How long does that last? Till the next season, till the next, you know, Super Bowl, the next World Series, the next big thing comes along. It's perishing. Earthly fame is fleeting. Okay? You know, I don't remember who won the World Series last year. Who won the World Series the year before that? Randy would tell you, but I don't remember. Who won the World Series before that? Say, the incorruptible crown as opposed to a perishable crown. It's incorruptible. We win a, an incorruptible crown. It's the same language for the body being sown in corruption and is raised in incorruption. It's the crown we receive when we're raised in glory. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. So just aimless drifting through the Christian walk you're not headed to that crown. You're just floating along in the Christian walk. You're not on, on the, the track to receive this, this crown. As Paul says here, I run in such a way as not without aim. Do you, do you have an aim? Do you have a goal? I box in such a way as not beating the air. What are you doing in your race, in your boxing match? But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Don't be the Lance Armstrong of the church age (laughs) and have all these Tour de France accolades and then they all get stripped away because it gets exposed. You know what? You were a cheater the whole time. You were doping every race. Yeah, don't be preaching to others while you have, uh, you know, this other thing going on, disqualifying from the incorruptible crown. And so here's the criteria. What do they seem to be? Um, aimless running, um, uh, uh, air, air punching, <laughs> okay? You know, do you know where you're running? Do you know what you're punching? Do you know what you're doing? We're expected to. It says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And to just kind of float through the Christian walk as if, you know, there's no purpose, there's no anything, is crazy, right? That's the incorruptible crown. It's also in 1 Thessalonians a reference to crown of exaltation. Crown of exaltation. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Say, well, I don't know how to exalt. (laughs) What's this about? 1 Thessalonians. Two nineteen. Verse seventeen says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. And so there's a benefit, there's a blessing when they can fellowship together. There is a celebration that can happen when they're able to come together. And they were separated. 
Paul had to leave town and he couldn't show his face again. If he did, then Jason lost all his money on that he'd put up. And uh, he, he, he sent Timothy back in. Timothy got to sneak in, but Paul couldn't go back. But we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. In the angelic conflict, we didn't have that opportunity to be face-to-face in fellowship to rejoice together. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Okay, this is where the crown gets mentioned. Is it not, is it not even you? Now, if it can't happen on earth, when can it happen? That's right. Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. So this crown of exaltation seems to be connected to glory and joy. It happens so twice. It happens in... um, There's hope and joy or crown of exaltation to verse 19, and then there's glory and joy in verse 20. And this is what happens as we celebrate together, as we rejoice together, as we fellowship together. That's what exaltation is. I'm exalting and uh, and sharing my joy with you all. The crown of exaltation. Um, If you find that you're struggling to obey the command that says rejoice always (laughs) in everything, give thanks. Uh, well, then you're probably not on a track to receive the crown of exaltation. This is the crown of, of constant rejoicing and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in the local assembly. Again, I'm not sitting at home reading a book. In the local assembly. Crown of exaltation. I'm out of time. We've got crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of glory. And with every one of these crowns, there appears to be criteria that's the plural of criterion, criteria that are assigned for attaining to this crown or not attaining to this crown, of grabbing hold of this crown or letting it go. See, these are not positional rewards, these are conditional. Conditional rewards on the basis of faithful uh, obedience to the plan of God in the church age. And yet, I don't see on any of these a requirement for things that are out of reach for any believer in the church age. You know, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a deacon, you don't have to be a, you know, saved for a certain number of years. Any believer from the ones that just got saved this morning can start to work towards these crowns, can learn how to exult, how to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's the crown that uh, you you, uh, work for with uh, exultation. All right. Come back to this on Wednesday night, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this study. I thank you for these crowns. I pray we recognize what these crowns are and the basis for which these crowns are are awarded, that we might uh, work, Father, endeavor, strive, struggle. Uh, If we don't like the word work, well, it's, it's by faith that we struggle. It's by faith that we strive. It's a faith work that we do, Father. So uh, open our eyes to see these things. We can lay hold of these crowns. I want to cast as many as I can at Jesus' feet, Father. And uh, more than one or two on a pile, a whole pile of crowns before him. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.